Hi everyone, this is episode five of season three and I have Matt Rand back with me. Hi Matt. Hi Catherine, how's it going? Everything is going very well here, thank you. How's it going for you? Yeah, the, the sun is shining. The world is a wonderful place today. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> that is, it's wonderful to hear such positivity. I'm a, I'm a little bit locked down fatigue, so I'm, I'm really glad I'm going to try and absorb some of the positivity there. But uh, today, <laughs> today we are going to be focusing on endometriosis, the things that underwriters want to know, and some good practice tips for advisors and employers when you're going to be discussing this sensitive topic. So this is the Practical Protection Podcast. To start things off then, endometriosis is a condition that can affect women and it's often quite misunderstood. But um, when I was looking into this, one thing that I found really surprising is that it affects one in 10 women in the UK um, who are within sort of what we class as the usual reproductive ages, um, which is actually quite, I think, quite a significant amount of women. And it is the second most prevalent gynecological condition within the UK. And to put things into a bit more of a global perspective, that's about 176 million women worldwide. And what happens with endometriosis? So essentially, obviously, Matt's going to go into this a lot more, but it's all to do with the tissue that forms in the lining of the womb. And it's maybe moving about and growing in areas that it's not meant to. And what can happen with that is it will, it can cause significant pain um, at any time, really. It doesn't necessarily have to be during a period. It doesn't necessarily need to be just when you go into the bathroom. Um, but it can be, um, say, it can cause pain during, at any time. But also it can be, you know, specifically when somebody is maybe having some form of intimate contact or potentially uh, going to to the toilet. It can lead to things like heightened feelings of sickness, diarrhea and constipation um, during the time that a woman is having her period. It can also lead to things um, where somebody can have difficulty in having children which um, all of these kind of can lead up to and build into some associated depression. And there is a really wide range of treatments for us as well. It can be treated with painkillers, sometimes hormone medicines. And for some people, it will also lead to surgery. Um, so I think that's sort of a, a very brief overview there. But Matt, can you do your thing and go into all the, the medical side of things and, um, and also as well teach me more about it? Because um, I, I know bits about it and I know some, I, I don't have it myself, um, but I know a couple of people who do um, and I could really do with actually learning a lot more about it myself. Yeah fine, uh, fine Catherine I hope I can uh, fill in some of those uh, some of those gaps. Okay what I thought I would do uh, to start off anyway is just to uh, let everybody listening know uh, or go through again the what an endometrium is for a start. When we talk about endometriosis it's not, probably not a particularly for us men, um, a, a term that, that comes up uh, very often. But the endometrium itself is, is the innermost lining uh, layer of the uterus. And what it does is actually, it, it, its function is to actually uh, keep the, the uterine cavity, um, the space of the uterine cavity. Okay, so it's, it's very, very important. Now, endometriosis itself, um, as, you've, as you've said, um, is endometrial tissue that it grows outside of the uterus and it's often um, coexists with and, and grows around, if you like, over, the ovaries and fallopian tubes. Okay. Um, you've covered symptoms as well, so pelvic pain, dysmenorrhea. Um, What's dysmenorrhea, if you don't mind me asking? Dysmenorrhea is, is absence or infrequent periods. Okay. Um, also, it can cause the, the, the 
when the tissue grows abnormally, it can cause masses within the uterus, a mass, um, and as you've already said, infertility as well. Now, the... When it comes to the mass, if you just start by asking, when you say a mass, so yep. is that like a growth. cancerous mass or do we just mean like a growth of like a ball of that tissue in a sense? Yes, a, ball, a ball of that tissue. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but obviously it causes an obstruction. Yeah. It can cause an obstruction and it can grow large and cause that pain that was one of the causes of that pain that we've, we've uh, talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, in terms of the the way that underwriters tend to look at it, as well as clinicians, i.e., doctors, um, you can get mild. It can be the symptoms can be classed as mild, moderate, or severe. Diagnosis is often by laparoscopy, yeah. um, and the absolute bottom end treatment is, um, as you said, is a his hysterectomy and bilateral oophorectomy, which is the, re the removal of the ovaries if that's okay. not a term that you've come across. Um, yeah. In the severe side of it, we've again touched on it, but bowel adhesions. Um, so that's within the bowel itself, remember. Okay. Uh, peritonitis, inflammation around the abdominal cavity and, uh, cavity and urethral um, and um, intestinal obstruction. Urethral, so maybe another term that you haven't come across maybe, but it'll, that's where... The, the mass will cause pressure on the urethra. Okay. Okay. So, so like, so obviously very uncomfortable with weeing and with and weeing, absolutely. Like yeah, yeah. Okay. The good news about endometriosis um, itself um, is that it's very rarely fatal. Um, so, from an underwriting perspective, for life insurance, um, unless you have um, uh, the severe variety with uh, bowel adhesions and so on and so forth then yeah. you are will always get standard rates for okay. for death for, for cover that, that pays out on death for the disability products um again for oh just any thought shall i just say just a bit disclaimer there so now you're saying should always get obviously the standard rates i yeah. imagine though if somebody is outstanding obviously if anybody's outstanding tests we should probably be clear outstanding tests outstanding surgeries and things like that then that will probably be more obviously a, a postponement type area so it's not automatically going to be purely standard rates it might I'm assuming that's right in saying that. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, I suppose it's, it's an interesting, it's a really good question, to be honest with you. And it just shows you how uh, maybe underwriters' minds work. This is where there is a definite diagnosis of endometriosis and nothing yeah. else. Yeah. So, so you know, that, <laughs> that, that was kind of my definition almost. But yes, absolutely. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. If some of those symptoms um, are, are present, then the doctors will want to investigate and find out what... Um, is causing the issue and yes if you talk about the adhesions that cause let's mm. say in the bowel um, or, or um, the urethral one then that needs to be sorted out before uh, any form of insurance would be given so you're, you're absolutely right on that. So with the bowel adhesions um, just sort of like for, for my own personal knowledge obviously so obviously you know appreciate as a woman that the the womb and everything is very closely linked to near where the bowel is so with a bowel adhesion is that in a sense is that forming inside the bowel itself or is that forming more on the womb side towards the bowel area? That's just my own personal interest in it. I, I don't know no, how it works. Um, generally, it would be near the, near the, um, the womb. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it'd be more like pushing backwards into that. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 
Um, okay, so I'm going to talk about disability products. In terms of um, critical illness, then endometriosis is, is not a, a condition um, that is covered specifically. Yes. Um, however, when you've got um, total and permanent disability, then an underwriter would, if everything had been cleared up, and in terms of a history of endometriosis and definite endometriosis, yeah. um, then TPD you will get, you should get standard rates as well, no, no okay. problems at all. Income protection, again, uh, you would be looking at standard rates, but the underwriter will be very much looking at the, the, the fact that that's where the symptoms were present, yeah. if you like, and what the outcome of, uh, in terms of follow-up on those symptoms were. If you had current problems with, with endometriosis, in, uh, let's take as an example, as bowel adhesions, then you would likely, more than likely get a, uh, hopefully an exclusion. Yeah. Okay, rather than no, we know, um, a, a declinature or a postponement. If somebody was about to go into hospital uh, for an operation, then yeah. you would be postponed. But generally, uh, endometriosis um, for life insurance, subject to your comments, Catherine, yes. should no, not be a problem. Critical illness with TPD should not be a problem as long as the symptoms have subsided and everything is, is clear. And the same would go with income protection. If there are symptoms continuing, then yeah. the underwriter would look at that, the severity of them, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, of course, with them, um, uh, with income protection, the length of deferred period um, comes into play there as well. Yes, yeah, of oh, course. Okay, and, and to be honest, if it's just on a general note, deferred periods are very key to underwriting thinking on income mm. protection. Um, perhaps not surprisingly, but yeah. they, they certainly are. I think that's probably a good point for product for advisors as well, you know, to sort of say, well, you know, if, you, if you're applying for cover somebody and there is maybe a no or something, um, it's worthwhile saying, well, is that a no for everything? Or if we put Absolutely. in a longer deferred period, whilst not ideal, um, could this potentially be an option? Because it, it may just open a few doors some places. And I think that's sort of like a, a good idea to to maybe as an advisor to remember to ask because obviously an underwriter or the person you speak to who's giving you a decision isn't going to remember necessarily to point all those bits out to you because they've got a million and one things to do just as um, as we all do. Um, so I think that's definitely a, a, a technique um, that uh, advisors can take on board is to sort of like ask, you know, is this a no for every kind of scenario of where that I can build this policy for this person? Absolutely correct. Yeah, um, I, I would hope um, but maybe I'm old-fashioned um, that underwriters would say, sorry, we can't do a D4 deferred four weeks, mm. but maybe 13 weeks we could we could do the case, um, maybe even 26 weeks we could do the case. I would hope they would do that, but I totally appreciate these days um, and, and with them, with, with systems being the way that they are, yeah. um, th that won't happen. So, yeah, absolutely always ask the question. T totally and utterly go for that. Okay. Um, one of the things that I wanted to move on to, Catherine, um, was um, something called um, endothelial hyperplasia. Okay. Now, that's, a, that's a mouthful and a half. Um, yes, I'm not going to repeat that back to you. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I do apologise straight away. And, that's um, right. But this, is, this, this particular condition um, 
is one that underwriters for life for, for life insurance um, uh, tend to um, be it, it flags a, a few red flags come come um, with this particular condition. I'll go on to explain why. Okay. First of all, um, endothelial. Really, this is that I will explain that term. That's really just simply the an excess proliferation of cells within the endometrium. And you okay. remember that I've already said that the endometrium is the innermost lining layer of the uterus. Okay, okay yeah. Uh, and its function is very important for, uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Okay. Um, hyperplasia um, is, is really the, an abnormal increase in the tissue. Okay. okay. So, so it's a very uh, an unusual word, not, not banded around a lot, but simply just means an abnormal increase in the actual tissue. With uh, endothelial hyperplasia, um, it is nearly always caused by excess oestrogen. The, the function of oestrogen is uh, it causes the lining of the room to grow and thicken and to prepare for pregnancy itself. Okay, ovulation occurs, and then with that, progesterone another hormones so estrogen and progesterone uh, begin to increase mm -hmm. and the function of progesterone is to prepare the endometrium to receive and, and nourish the fertilized egg okay. okay if there's no pregnancy estrogen and progesterone fall and that causes the womb to shed its lining commonly known as, as menstruation okay yeah. Okay, once the lining of the room is completely shed um, and then a new cycle begins and oestrogen and progesterone come back in it and it's normal cycle. Okay. Now, I will go back to my um, hyperplasia, um, the condition that I'm talking about, and it's most often caused by excess oestrogen without progesterone. Okay. okay. So if you remember that estrogen is produced by the ovaries, yeah. Um, but if ovulation doesn't occur and progesterone is not made, then the lining of the womb. Remember that we're talking about um, uh, people who are perimenopausal or postmenopausal. Mm -hmm. Then the lining of the womb itself is is not shed. Okay. Okay. So you you don't have menstruation. What can cause the problem here is that the, because there is no, uh, the, the, the lining room is not shed, the, the, the tissue, because it's not been shed, will become thickened and be potentially become abnormal. Okay. There can be a, a problem with that in the case of getting uterine cancer. Oh, so okay, right. become abnormal, it can go, that abnormality can be as, go as far as cancer itself. Okay, I had no idea it could lead to cancer. Yep, yep. I imagine this is more of an unusual circumstance, though, that it, it, it's not like a common... Abs well, it, it, uh, it, it is unusual, but it is more common than you think. Yeah, well, I was going to say endometriosis in itself is a lot more common than I thought anyway. Endometriosis is, yeah. Remember, this is um, a, a different scenario than purely endometriosis, but obviously it is, we are talking about the uterus. Yes. Um, and interestingly, I, I certainly um, have to remind myself really about um, some of the um, the causes here or what can exacerbate the situation. And that's um, if you take medication which acts like oestrogen, such right. as 
tamoxifen, which one a, a oh. drug that we will we will know an awful lot about yes. through through cancer, breast cancer in particular. Yes. Um, so for people who so so for people who don't know um, that, do you mind just explaining how the tamoxifen, what that is in reference to things like the breast cancer, please, Matt? Yeah, it really just keeps the um, levels of estrogen up. Yeah, it's a, it's a medicine that somebody will take for usually it's about five years or so sometimes after, after treatment. Yeah, and yeah. Um, with the breasts being being linked or very hot hormonal parts of the body what they want to re reduce is the the estrogen levels so that that doesn't start stimulating the, the breasts with ensuing increase in the chances of cancer yeah of course okay um the another cause um is, is actually if you use estrogen for hormone therapy and you don't take progesterone right um so it's it's, it's around this this hormones um issue so you can take tamoxifen, obviously, and you can take a hormone therapy, but doctors need to be aware that those, if I can call it a side effect or, or a, a, a consequence, possibly is the woman concern needs to be followed up to ensure that nothing untoward is happening. Okay. Yes. Um, again, I'll use another term here, which uh, may not be familiar, but um, irregular periods. Mm. Um can, especially in the presence of something called polycystic ovarian syndrome, yes. PCOS, um, or, or infertility. And another um, uh, area um, that that's can increase the chances of, uh, of this condition is obesity. Okay. As well. So, again, this, this condition, um, it needs to be seriously uh, looked at. Um, the challenge there is that doctors will follow up um, and look for any signs. Obviously, some of these symptoms are sometimes difficult for, for ladies to, um, to A, talk about or, or B, uh, even know the you know, some abdominal pain, really the consequences of it. But talk to your doctor and um, I'm sure they will be able to sort it out. In terms of uh, underwriting these conditions, yeah. then... Um, Generally, and if the individual is um, is followed up um, properly, and obviously the, the the woman concerned is compliant with what the doctor says in terms of treatment, etc., then uh, from for life insurance again uh, with follow ups which are all clear, then there is no, there should not be a problem with yeah. uh, with with life insurance. In terms of uh, critical illness, then you may generate a um, an exclusion for cancer. This is for the stronger. This is for the version of this, isn't this, that I don't want to pronounce back to you. That is it endometrial hyperplasia? Is that, that's, that's, that's the one. We're only talking about this particular one because it's yeah. connectivity with cancer. Yes, of course. Cancer. Um, and income protection very much depends on um, really the on the provider. You you may you may get an exclusion. You may get a, a small rating, but certainly it should be able to be covered as long as obviously you have a di an absolute diagnosis of it and yes. and you're being followed up for it as well. 
Absolutely. Um, I think what's sorry, I was going to say what's good here, I think, is to maybe talk about, you know, the, sorry, the key things that insurers want to know. And I've got a couple of specific questions as well that I think would be really helpful for advisors if I can sorry, put them towards you as well. Yeah, um, so, you know, isn't it from an advisor point of view, what I would say to advisors, as with pretty much any medical condition that you're going to come across, you've got your key things. You're going to ask them what the diagnosis is, when they were diagnosed, ideally the month and the year. You want to know probably what the treatment plan is. You know, have there been any surgeries? Have the, has there been any medication? Um, medications, you want the names and um, the, the dosage of it. Um, you also want for the surgeries, you know, you want to know when did these happen? Again, months and years, very, very useful. And how often have they needed to happen, if at all? And I think they're probably going to give you your main basis if you find out that information. And also another one is the impact it possibly has on that person's ability to work and maybe Absolutely. do some day to day tasks. And um, again, especially depending upon the type of insurance you're wanting to look at. Um, but something, again, when I was going across this is that when I was looking at it, came across the things about pain management for endometriosis. And it can be quite intense, I think, some yeah. of the, the pain management side of things. Absolutely. And I saw some, some of them a long term need for anti inflammatory use. And I think one of the things that Maybe, you know, I think a lot of advisors are aware of it, but maybe not all, is that, you know, there's times that, you know, like we maybe wonder as advisors, well, why can't we do this? Because it's actually being managed really well. But then the actual, the long-term effects of some of the medications can really have a play, I think, into what the decisions are and the underwriting outcomes. And I know with anti-inflammatories, now this, it could be a, a misunderstanding on my part, but I, I don't think it is, but I'm sure you can correct me. Um, so with anti-inflammatories, I know because obviously I, I have hypermobility syndrome. If I were to take an anti-inflammatory, I have to take certain ones um, because I've been told um, previously that um, certain anti-inflammatories can actually have a really adverse effect upon my stomach lining. Um, yep. So I have to be very, very careful about that. Um, so is this, you know, I imagine it's, it's not just, so if people maybe think, well, endometriosis, you know, well, you know, listening to us, or oh, it should be standard, it should be this, you know, if there was potentially maybe um, a very, very strong long-term medication in use, I imagine that could have an impact upon some of the underwriting decisions. Am I, am I correct in thinking that? Um, it, it, it's an interesting question. I would, I would say possibly... I would only say possibly because generally if there was a when when a, an actuary and an underwriter get together to come up with a rating they they will look at the type of treatment that the individual is likely to have at a given if you know if it is mild moderate or severe so let's look at severe they will look at the the number of deaths or, or uh, disability events and uh, take into account or they should take into account um, any side effects of long-term treatment within it. So explicitly including um, a rating for a drug is actually pretty rare. Okay. And I, I would certainly think with not, not belittling endometriosis in any way whatsoever, um, I would say it would be rare for an underwriter to take into account drug use. But okay. I, I, could, I would never say never. Yes, of course. But because doctors themselves um, uh, have different views on treatments and so on and so forth. Um, but I would say it would be pretty rare um, that, 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 was the, that that would be a, a, a point that the underwriter would be concerned about. Yeah, of course. I think another thing in regards to the medication side of things um, that I just wanted to quickly cover is that obviously endometriosis can have a link potentially to depression. But I know that some people are diagnosed some antidepressants as a form of pain management, not necessarily because they are depressed. 
I'm just wondering, in a sense, how is that potentially viewed by underwriters, in a sense? Because I imagine that's sort of like a bit of a difficult one from an underwriting point of view, because kind of like you're seeing a medication that is both potentially a pain management and also depression uh, management. And then you've got a condition that is potentially linked closely to depression. But obviously, if the person is saying that they don't have depression, I, I imagine that's a little bit unusual. or Maybe it's a lot more straightforward than I think. Um, I, I, again, it's a it's a, a very very good question. Um, my my take with it on it would be um, is to ask as, as an underwriter is to ask the right questions. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, if they see the uh, an antidepressant um, being given, um, in in very simple terms, ask why. If there yeah. is if if there is no history of depression um, given by the the, um, the potential client, or indeed um, given by the doctor, the GP on the, on the standard GP report, I would say that an underwriter should realise um, what the antidepressant is actually being used for, and um, it, it, it shouldn't be an issue. Brilliant. I think um, one other area I wanted... To... Sorry, go on. No, no, sorry, Catherine. I was just going to say that I, I think it's underwriters generally will ask the question... And it's something where advisors could help um, if they have that type of relationship with their client by um, maybe probing a little bit more at outset. That might be a complete red flag to some advisors, but I know other advisors who will, who are open about talking with their clients yeah. about um, treatments and so on and so forth. But it's, it's, it's asking the right question. That's, that really is the key and yeah. not for an, underwriting, um, an underwriter not to make an assumption that an antidepressant equals depression. Yeah, I I think that's a really good point as well for everybody. It's always asking the right questions. It's the same as an advisor. We always have to ask the right questions to be able to to get things right. And I think um, before we move on to sort of like the case study, there's one last area I wanted to just quickly touch on with you is that when I was obviously looking into all of this, um, I came across thoracic endometriosis where the condition develops in the chest cavity. And I've not heard of this. And I suppose it really confuses me because I'm thinking, well, is that cells from the lung that are doing it themselves or is a kind of the cells from the womb or the endometrium traveling all the way up to the lungs and then I I suppose an extra question with that is that because that is kind of obviously a a condition that can affect um, the the lung area is that something that we think that maybe there's going to there'll possibly be extra considerations about that at the moment due to obviously the COVID restrictions that are in place. Well, you you completely signed with me on that one. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, um, I I am not aware of thoracic and um, issues um, link, linked with um, that, the condition that you highlighted. Um, however, I uh, now you've highlighted it to me. I shall go away and, and find out. Brilliant. Um, in, in terms of um, any uh, lung condition with uh, with with COVID then at this moment in time, then then yes, it would be a concern amongst, uh, uh, but I would wonder how much COVID itself would exacerbate the situation. So from from the COVID scenario, um, it wouldn't add any particular additional concern than I would have apart from what is this condition and what are the, um, and and what, what are the consequences of this condition? Okay. Thank you. Well, I think probably time now is to start going towards the case study. And I'll just also give a little bit of input in regards as an employer myself as to what you can do to help people. Um, if, if you have um, somebody who's working with you who maybe shares that they have this condition. So 
from a case study um, point of view, I've already mentioned what the insurers are going to want to know. They're going to know when the diagnosis was made, what it was, the medications in use, in use, the treatment surgeries, if they've been done or if they're planned. What's really important as well from an advice point of view is to be really sensitive when approaching the questions. It's quite easy to kind of go into a bit of an auto mode as an advisor in the sense of, you know, saying, right, you know, do you have any um, dependents, you know, any dependent children? Um, do you have this? Do you have that? And what's really important, especially if you already know, for, for whatever reason, if you already know that this person has endometriosis um, before you do speak to them, is just to be really conscious that this person may have struggled to have had children or have been unable to have children at all. It, it could be that they've even had to have, you know, the full hysterectomy. So it can be quite a sensitive topic. And, and even if someone is in that situation, you can never assume that it's um, something that they're going to find hard to talk about or easy to talk about. It's always about being very reactive to what that individual person needs. And, and it's also very important, as with anything like this, to be very understanding of the fact that they've potentially experienced a lot of pain from this condition. It's not just having heavy periods or very uncomfortable periods. It is a completely separate condition to that. And, um, you know, as with anything, I always think there's a fine balance between sort of like empathizing with somebody and then crossing that line. So, you know, we don't want to get into kind of any scenarios of like, oh, yeah, when I get bad period pain, I always have a hot water bottle and it helps. Do you find it helps? Which depending upon the rapport that you have with your clients and if they're a close friend, you know, maybe that would work OK. But it's probably better to just sort of be much more sort of remove yourself a little bit from that a little bit and probably be along the lines of so I can't you know obviously as always you know, I'm really sorry to hear that you know I can't imagine what that must feel like and it, I, I spoke to somebody myself the other day about it and I said you know I really have quite uncomfortable periods I say it feels like I've been kicked in the places that you can imagine but even so I, that makes me feel like a, a complete wimp actually compared to what um, they must be going through and um, when they're experiencing this. As well, when you're writing your documents, obviously, when we're doing these compliance reports for people as an advisor, you know, we will sometimes say, you know, this is your situation. Um, again, if you know that somebody is maybe not being able to have children due to the condition or they have had to have a hysterectomy or something along those lines, it may be that you speak with a compliance officer and just ask if you can maybe, you know, obviously subtly take out the reference to that in the report that goes to the client, just so that it's not staring them in the face that you're saying, well, you have no children. When it comes to um, the case study side of things, just an example to people. So um, obviously we helped a couple that were in their 30s, they were non-smokers. Everything in regards to the medical side of things was what we classed as what we would say probably in the industry is straight through, except for the female life had endometriosis and she'd had um, two small laparoscopic surgeries to remove some tissue in the past. And the last time had been about a year or so um, before the application. So to just give an idea of what was um, sort of like achieved insurance-wise, we got um, decreasing life insurance for both of them of around £112,000 over 33 years, and it was just under £14 per month. As an employer, there are some things that you can potentially do as well to support people. Um, I know this can be very, very difficult for uh, a man or a woman to speak to somebody about, but if somebody is really struggling significantly on a monthly basis, and you sort of um, sort of like start to wonder if they're being a bit of a hypochondriac because of bad periods or anything like that. The important thing to do is to listen to that person, because also as well, even if they are having horrendous periods, listen to them and try and be comforting. Um, you know, try and be considerate and accommodating without drawing attention to the person. So you know, if they are somebody who maybe needs to, you know, if if they are in the significant pain, you know, every month um, when they are having their periods, you know, maybe give them the option to be able to work from home for a few days you know it doesn't have to be obvious to everybody it could just be something that 
that that person needs. There are, there are so many things to do. You know, if somebody is having to go to the bathroom um, quite often, you know, maybe there's a, a way that you can subtly change where they are positioned within the um, building or the office so that if they are going to the, the toilet on a regular basis, that it's maybe not obvious to everybody that they are having to, to get up and, and walk to the bathroom. Um, and, um, and I think, yeah, just having that, you know, having that openness for somebody to be able to talk to you and to make sure that people and say to people, you know, maybe, you know, every now and then say to people, look, if you are experiencing anything, you know, any kind of medical conditions or anything like that, you don't have to tell us, but, you know, we would love to be able to support you. Um, please, you know, obviously privately let me know or also say if you're, if you're big enough to have HR departments, things like that, say, you know, there's also people in HR who are obviously very much designed to be able to um, have these conversations and to go through things with you. Uh, and probably the last thing from um, uh, an employer point of view is to make sure that if you have something like the group cover, whether or not somebody speaks to you directly or not, make sure that you are making your team aware and signposting them to, to the uh, support services. And um, with some of the group insurances as an employer, you can access some support services yourself in regards to being able to give some, get some guidance on how to best support employees in different situations. So there's lots of things that we can do. The way that I like to see it as well and to leave it is that, you know, women, the half of your client bank to all the advisors, you know, so it's a really good idea not to ignore these things and to make sure that, um, that even if you yourself don't feel comfortable talking about it, that you have some kind of process in place where um, you can have somebody talk to that person and support them through it. Anything that you would like to add, Matt, as we're coming towards the end of this? Um, no, I don't don't think so. Um, very interesting session. Um, you always raise uh, such great points, Catherine, so well done you. Um, I think probably the only, um, the last thing I would say is... Uh, a good friend of mine um, died a couple of weeks ago. Um, the lady will be, um, thank you. The lady will be very well known to Johnny Timpson. Um, the, the lady concerned was a lady called Frances Heggie, who used to be um, the chief underwriter of Scottish Widows. And um, she's a good friend, um, fantastic sense of humour, uh, and she'll be sorely missed. So I'd just like to maybe dedicate this one this this uh, uh, podcast to to Francis and uh, may, may, may she um, enjoy the great underwriting department in the sky. Okay, that's, that's me. Thank you. I think that's lovely, Matt. Thank you, and thank you, obviously, for for complimenting the the things that I'd brought up. I think um, it's been really really useful hearing your knowledge on this, obviously, which is is extremely in, extensive. And um, and thank you for for going through that. And I think that's lovely. I, I did see some posts. I didn't I wasn't fortunate enough to meet Francis, but I did see some posts. Um, I think it was on LinkedIn, and um, and you could see that there was a, a significant outpouring of love towards her, and and she obviously meant a great deal to a lot of people. So I think that's um, a wonderful thing to do with this episode. So obviously, thank you very much to everybody uh, for listening to this underwriting episode with um, Matt. Next time, Ryan McLaughlin is going to be having his first solo outing as a host on the podcast. And he's going to be interviewing Lee Robertson from Octa Members uh, about protection and how it's an essential part of planning a client's financial futures.
Um, as we always say, if you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop us a message and we will um, get you added to our reminders list. And you can see us on the social media and visit the website of um, practical-protection.co.uk. And, um, and I think for, for many underwriters and advisors listening, there is definitely a, a, definitely a key element of CPD understanding on this. So please do remember to get your certificate um, on the website as well. So thank you very much for joining me, Matt. Thank you. Speak to you again soon. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.